Well, hello, everyone. Merry Christmas to you. It is good to be back with another episode of No Lasting City after a longer break than I had wanted to take, that's for sure. I I had hoped to put out a little more content over Advent and, and into Christmas, but unfortunately, early in December... I got hit with COVID, and then that spread through our family, and uh, bottom line, basically someone in our family was sick up until this week. So sadly, it wasn't as festive as a season as we were hoping for or anticipating, but nonetheless, thankful to be coming out of that, and in the midst of it, still doing our best to celebrate the good news of Christmas, uh, of Jesus Christ coming into this world. And that is the topic I wanted to end the year on, uh, and really fitting, I think, after Christmas week, to think just briefly about the different ways that people respond to the claim of Christmas. Now, most Americans are familiar with the story of Christmas and Jesus's birth and the big claim that that entails. I mean, that's still very much part of our culture, even though, you know, I believe we're moving in the opposite direction or becoming more post-Christian. But still, chances are, if you're an American, you either have been or even just last week were exposed to the Christmas message in some way, shape, or form, whether that be listening to a song on the radio that talked about Jesus, whether that be driving by a manger scene, or maybe you even went to church on Christmas Eve with family and friends and you heard, again, the Christmas story. And and so, again, the, what I want to just think with you is the different way that people have responded in history to the Christmas claim. And, of course, those are ways people still do. And as you listen, think about where you fall into this. Now, of course, I, I keep mentioning the Christmas claim. What what am I talking about? Well, the, the claim of Christmas is God with us. The, the claim of Christmas, as Christians have held on to for thousands of years, is Emmanuel, God with us. God came into this world. That's what Christians celebrate at Christmas, that that God came down and put on flesh. As as, uh, the Gospel of John says, the word that was with God and was God put on flesh, became a, a man, and dwelt among us. That's the claim of Christmas, that this baby, Jesus Christ, born in a manger, was no mere baby, no more, no mere human baby, but also God himself in the flesh. Uh, a claim highlighted by the fact that Jesus did not have a human father, but was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now, that is a big claim. It is. And, of course, different responses have come to it. So what are different ways people respond to the claim of Christmas and and how do you respond? And so I've identified four I want to walk through with you. The first way you can respond to this claim, a way that many people do, is what I will call the way of indifference or the way of apathy. Uh, uh, This way says basically, yes, I've heard that. I know that claim. But I simply have to say, maybe I should work it all out, but I really don't care that much. I don't, I don't, I don't care that much or feel the need to try to think that through or work it out or anything to do with its implications for my life. So this is the way of ap atheism. 
which is a term that I was recently introduced to by my friend Richard Claus. And if you heard the interview I, I did with him, he, he brought that up as a way of describing what is becoming more and more common, particularly a young, excuse me, particularly among younger Americans today, apatheism. It's a way of, of just putting word to just a general apathy towards spiritual truth, um, towards uh, feeling the need to to seek these things or understand uh, the varying claims of religion. And as, as uh, Richard said in the interview I did with him, he was said he'd much rather see people debating and even being upset by the claims of Jesus than apathy, uh, because at least then we're taking him seriously. And if you're totally indifferent, then you're not even taking it seriously. But this is rising in our culture. It's definitely one of the marks of secularism. The more secular a society becomes, the greater will be a general indifference towards traditional religious questions. And, and no doubt, there's a lot of that in response to Christmas. People know the story, they hear the claim, and it's like, well, yeah, that's interesting, but I, I just I just don't have time to really think about this, and I don't ha- I don't have the energy to do it. I remember having a conversation this past summer with someone in the Air Force that I was training with, and this person was raised nominally Christian, but at this point doesn't really hold to any of the traditional beliefs of Christianity. Uh, and I asked this person, you know, tell me how you know where do you get answers to questions like. What happens when you die, and what is life all about? You know, how, how do you answer that? And the response I got, which did surprise me a little bit, but the response I got was, Scott, I just don't think about those questions that often. That they're not that relevant to me. And that again, yeah, it caught me short a little bit. I didn't expect to hear that because growing up in the church, you just assume that. What happens when we die is something that is a burning question. What is life all about? And at least uh, on the surface, that's a question uh, that, that more people are just generally apathetic to. Um, and one of the challenges of uh, living as a Christian in 21st century America is just is just realizing that that's changing, uh, that some of the things we used to be able to take for granted, we can no longer take for granted. And, and we now have to have to deal with not just questions of truth, uh, but but questions of of relevance and 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 wanting people to be willing to even consider the claims of Christianity. And of course, I, I don't I don't know what the what the answer is to that. This is why we have to pray because ultimately it is God who is at work in people's lives, um, including our own, to create a, a spiritual hunger where there may not be one. Ultimately, God has to do that. Um, so that that's the first way that that people respond, just total indifference. And I suppose just to offer something about how I might respond to that, if 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 if, if that's you or you're talking to someone like that, I, I think at this point what I would say is, listen, I understand life is busy and there's a lot of pressures, but but look at what Jesus offers. Look at look at the claims of Christianity. Look at what Jesus said, you know, when he promised, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. When he promised, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die, but live again. He promised the forgiveness of sins, you know, hope and joy, contentment in all circumstances of life. And 
isn't that worth considering? Not only did Jesus say that, but millions and millions and millions of people over 2,000 years have found that to be true. So isn't that, isn't it that worth considering uh, the claim of Jesus and of Christianity? I mean, after all, we're, we're talking about eternity here. This isn't just about being a little more comfortable in this life. It's also about life and death, heaven and hell, uh, about the ultimate purpose and meaning of life. I mean, isn't that something that is is at least worth thinking about seriously? And I guess you just go from there. But but uh, I, you know, indifference is hard. Indifference is hard. But that is a way. That is a way. So that's the way of indifference. Another way someone might respond to the claim of Christmas is what I would call the way of liberal Christianity the way of liberal Christianity. Now, when I use that word liberal, just to be clear, I'm not talking about politics here. I'm talking theology. I'm talking about being theologically liberal. And liberalism as a theological movement traces its roots back to the late 19th century and into the early 20th century. And and the way of liberal Christianity is to insist that Jesus uh, was a great teacher of wisdom, and that this really is the main way he should be regarded. And all the the, the, the claims about the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, that uh, we can pretty much discount. Now, let me give you a quote from a guy named Harry Emerson Fosdick. He was very famous in the 1920s as a uh, a liberal, theologically liberal preacher that was very much on the front lines of some of the controversies that split um, at least in my in my denomination, the Presbyterian Church, along liberal and conservative lines. And he preached a sermon uh, in 1922 that is actually a, a fairly famous sermon. And he mentions, and I'm just going to read you a part of this so you can understand this way of liberal Christianity. He mentions what he believes about the virgin birth. He says, to believe in the virgin birth as an explanation of great personality is one of the familiar ways in which the ancient world was accustomed to account for unusual superiority. He then goes on to say, knowing this, there are many who believe, many Christians he's talking about, who believe that uh, Jesus's coming into this world, the claim of Christmas goes like this. Those first disciples adored Jesus as we do. When they thought about his coming, they were sure that he came specially from God, as we are. This adoration and conviction they associated with God's special influence and intention in his birth, as we do. But they phrased it in terms of a biological miracle that our modern minds cannot use. End quote there. So, in other words, if I could translate that, what Fosdick is saying in the way of liberal Christianity is to say... The claims of Christ's deity and the virgin birth, those were all ways that ancient people who didn't have a scientific understanding of the world like we do, that this was just the normal way they would describe someone that tremendously influenced them. And they believe whose teaching was inspired by God. And we believe all that. We just don't believe in the miracle. So we, we affirm everything that the virgin birth represented. We just don't believe in its objective reality. And that that is the great irony of liberalism, in my opinion, that in trying to save Christianity from irrelevance, they ripped so much out of it that they actually ended up making it irrelevant, reducing Jesus to one religious leader among many and Christianity to just another religion among other ones. And so that's the way of theological liberalism. 
is to say, yeah, I hear the claim, uh, but it, do- it do- doesn't mean what it claims. It's just another way of saying that Jesus was a great teacher, and we affirm that. Now, I should say this view is very common today, even for those who would not claim any kind of Christian faith at all. It's very common, the idea to, to respond to the claims of Christmas and the claims of Jesus in general to say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher, a very inspiring teacher. He clearly was inspired by God, whatever that means. And I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Jesus. I had someone tell me that directly once. But I'm also a big fan of Gandhi, of Muhammad, and so on and so forth. And so uh, this response appreciates the extraordinary impact that Jesus had on those around him and has had over history. But it places him on par with all other religious leaders. Of course, the trouble with this response is that it just doesn't adequately deal with the claims of Jesus himself, uh, Jesus's own claims of utter uniqueness. I take John 14 just as one example. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's, a, that's what Jesus said. Uh, he also claims to uh, uh, be the one who will judge the world. He, he, he clearly claims to be a divine person. And so this response just isn't adequate for that. I mean, this is where that old paradigm, you may have heard this, uh, probably have if you've been in the church at all, but the whole Lord, liar, lunatic paradigm becomes helpful here, uh, which is just the idea that you know, with Jesus, because of the claims that are made about him in which he made himself, you either got to call him Lord or he was a liar or a lunatic, uh, given what he said. The one thing you can't really do is call him a great teacher, because if his claims about himself were not true, then anyone else who said the kinds of things he did, we would call a lunatic, an egomaniac. All right, even in the Sermon on the Mount, which is something that people often quote to talk about what, what, what a wise teacher he is. And that sermon in Matthew 5 to 7 in, includes things like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Oh, very wise, great teacher. Uh, turn the other cheek, uh, the stuff that our society likes. He also says some unbelievable things there about himself. Uh, for example, at the end of Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he goes on, did we not prophesy in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me. And so there he is talking about being the one who decides men's eternal fate. So uh, either he is who he is, or he's a liar or lunatic. The way of liberal Christianity just really is incomprehensible. It doesn't work. And that leads to the third way that you could respond to the, the claims of Christmas, And that is the way of what I'm calling the radical skeptic. And the way of the radical skeptic is to say something like this, is that the claim of Christmas, the claim that Jesus was God, the virgin birth, all the things that Jesus claimed about himself later, that was never part of the original Christian message. It was never part of what Jesus actually said. All of these things were added in later. And so the idea of the radical skeptic is whoever Jesus was, he was just an ordinary teacher who lived and died. However, he was influential. And so over the years, his followers gave him increasing devotion. And finally, through things like myth and legend, elevated him to godlike status. And at that point, the Gospels and the uh, much of the New Testament were either written or modified to reflect these later beliefs about 
God coming to earth and Jesus doing miracles, all that stuff. Uh, it also, this, this of course, skepticism uh, assumes that the earliest disciples never recognized or worshiped Christ as God, and Jesus never would have asked for that. It's all a later invention. Now, I can't deal with a, a full response to, to this way in this podcast, but needless to say, to believe this means you essentially don't believe in the reliability of the gospel accounts or the New Testament as a whole. You, you believe that they've been so substantially modified that what was originally written is not what we have, or they were written so late that legends develop. Uh, I will come back later this year, or later next year, I should say, or early next year, I guess to be totally accurate, I will come back and do a podcast on that topic, because I think this is very important. There are many people making this claim, and we need to be able to interact with that. I will only say here that as a general consensus of scholarship, the New Testament was written too early for legends to have developed, and it's very clear that Christ was worshipped as divine very, very, very early on. Even the story of Christmas and the virgin birth, uh, that is a story that Luke reports that is a, is a, is a result of investigation and interviews with people who were there, probably to include Mary herself. Uh, the other thing to say about this is the idea that that Israelites, Jews, would have invented Jesus's divinity after the fact, really, there's just, there's no paradigm for this. There was no ability to believe that God would become a man. That's totally foreign to their thinking and theology. So the idea that they would make that up uh, is, it's really, really, that's why I called it radical skepticism. It, it's very, it, it, it's almost impossible to believe. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. And which leads to the fourth and final response uh, that you can have towards the claim of Christmas, the one that, of course, I hope you have, which is that this happened, right? The claim of Christmas is real. Jesus is who he said he was. And when Jesus was born, God really did come into our world. Uh, And to quote one pastor, uh, who puts this a good way, as hard as it is to believe that God would come to earth, it may be just as difficult not to. Is it really impossible for God to become human? Why, if God is really all-powerful, could he not have done it? And why, if God is really all-loving, would he not have done it? So, yes, it is a big claim, and uh, we need to acknowledge that. Uh, And it means that Jesus is unlike any other religious leader that ever existed. And honestly, the rest of his life demonstrates that. I mean, who else walked on water, fed 5,000, raised the dead? And as J.I. Packer wrote decades ago, many people struggle with the the miracle accounts that they read about Jesus's life. But he says that struggle is in the wrong place. If Jesus were just a man, even... Uh, a, a very gifted and inspired man, it'd be almost impossible to believe some of the things that Jesus did in his life. But if Jesus is who the Bible claims him to be, who he claimed to be, God in the flesh, well, then all of the miracles make sense. I mean, if, if God came into this world, we would expect his life to be surrounded by the miraculous, by the divine. And that's exactly what happened. And of course, one of the greatest and final acts, 
was Jesus's own resurrection from the dead. You see, if Jesus had died and stayed dead, it's highly likely nothing or very little would have been written about him at all. And there certainly would be no Christianity in this world. But the resurrection seen by many eyewitnesses changed everything and ultimately vindicated all of the claims that would otherwise have been very, very difficult to believe. And so we end here. This is what this is what we believe. This is what Christians believe. This child born on Christmas morning was no mere child, but Emmanuel, God with us, fullness of God in helpless babe. And so here is what I would leave you with. This is really good news. And it's good news for all people. The, the claim of Christmas is that the Son of God, Jesus, in his love for us, came to save us came into this world to undo all of the sin and evil and brokenness that we had wrought. Uh, One Christmas hymn puts it like this, came to earth to taste our sadness, he whose glories knew no end, by his life to bring us gladness, precious Savior, Redeemer, friend. This is why we rejoice at Christmas. It really is good news. We could never work our way to God, so God came down to us. As the angel said, unto us is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and he is able and willing to save all who come to him in faith. Well, thanks for listening to this last podcast of the year. Merry Christmas. 